0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert, and I am here with our, uh, you know, I haven't come up with like an adjective. I forgot what I used last time with you.
1: Oh, I don't remember. Oh,
0: you know, it was the fabulous Alyssa Matz. And we are also here with one of our wonderful interns, Perrin, uh, she's producing the show with uh, Nathan Yoderday. We uh, are the Why God Why podcast. We exist to respond to the questions you didn't think you could ask in church. We are brought to you by the Lumavaz Network out of Saddleback Church. And we are very excited today to have Janice McWilliams. I met Janice from a mutual friend named Janet Belathy who goes here to Browncroft. She is the author of the book Restore Your Soul. And I'm sure by the end of this episode, you are going to want to uh, you're going to want to read that book. But Alyssa, the question we're asking, why are my thoughts and feelings out of control? What this, do you think?
1: This is a good one. I think there's many answers for this, and I'm so excited to hear what Janice has to tell us today. Um, Janice, we are so glad you're here with us on the Why God Why podcast. And if you don't mind, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit more about you and about
2: your story? I'm delighted to be here. And yes, I would, of course be very happy to do that. I have been a therapist in private practice for some years, uh, but before then, and I have been in campus ministry and I've worked with University Christian Fellowship as a trainer and um, in a lot of different roles with that organization. So for my entire career, I've kind of been in the area of soul care and I've always been really intrigued with how do you figure out how to live with yourself and your inner experiences so that you just don't suffer so much? And it seems like these days, especially, I'm seeing so much suffering as people don't know what to do with all the thoughts and all the giant overwhelming emotions that people are having. And I have become really passionate about figuring out with each person, like how do you figure out how to sort of live with all those experiences differently? Um, For me, a really big turning point came when I was in my training as a counselor and I was um, going about getting an internship for my counseling hours. And I went to an interview at this place called the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute um, in Maryland. And that place was a place where you treat anxiety disorders. And I wasn't really all that interested in treating anxiety disorders at the time. I had like an internship lined up at another agency, but I had just received that offer and I had this interview scheduled. And so I felt like I should keep it. And I thought, well, just, let's just see what happens at this other interview. And the person interviewing me asked me in that interview, Um, about my kind of orientation towards counseling. And I was talking about Jung and all the deep things that I thought were really wonderful about that therapeutic frame. And this person who was interviewing me said, well, we're kind of different um, here than you might be in a Jungian approach, because here, when a thought drops in, in your mind, we tend to ask, is this a helpful thought or not? And then we discriminate and we discern, like, is it, is it helpful to go into? And when he said that, it was one of those moments that I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, this is a very important moment. It felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me because I knew that would really change my life. If I discriminated between the different thoughts that came in and decided what to do with them, that I would spend a lot less time in certain streams of thought that tend to, to make me really sad and really depressed. Um, and so I ended up changing my whole tact and staying um, at, and taking the internship at this place and learning all about this whole different way of working with, it, you know, my own inner experiences and working with clients and their inner experiences. So that was like a major life-changing God moment for me that, changed kind of the course of my life that got me into this Mm. whole path. So let's
0: just have some fun starting out here. Um, because I mean, the whole point of what you're saying is you're saying that we in some ways can't control our thoughts and feelings, but we can like respond to them. So, you know, one of the things, so my wife's a mental health, uh, therapist, like every once in a while, um, Mm Actually, it just happened like two weeks ago. I dreamt about writing a certain report. And this week I wrote that report and like it just like hit me. So how much of that sometimes do we kind of throw up there as like, oh my goodness, I'm having this dream and I'm doing it versus how much are we processing and trying to think through that? How would you walk someone through a situation like that?
2: Well, dreams are a really whole interesting um, other topic. But when it comes, I mean, well, to integrate with what you're saying, um, you had a dream about a report and then you wrote the report. So you're wondering how the thoughts kind of enter into that? Well, I am not entirely sure, but... Um, can you rephrase this, This you you wanna know how, whether you're, um, are, we're in control of the kind of thoughts that drop in on us?
0: No, I, I think what I'm trying to kind of figure out, so there's some people that would sit back and kind of say, oh my goodness, I had this dream and then I did it. And then there's other people that would say, hey, you were thinking about that report, of course you're gonna dream about it. So how would you as someone, delineate the difference between kind of thoughts, maybe supernatural and dreams. And I know it's a little off topic, but I I guess what I'm trying to kind of figure out is we sometimes treat thoughts as if like, they plop from the sky or they're completely explainable. And it, it just seems like you have a different approach to that.
2: Oh, okay. There are a lot of different reasons for the kind of thoughts that drop in on us, so a lot of them can be um, because of our family of origin and the kind of messaging that we were given really, really young. Like a lot of the, like one of the big thoughts that come that will come to me in many different forms is some kind of message about it's all up to me and I'm all alone, and that that is the same the same tired thought that started for me soon after my father died, um, that 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 was just the messaging that came from my family experience when I was eight years old, right? So our family of origin and experience in messaging can be a part of the kind of thoughts that drop in on us. Um, Our society and the systemic pressures and messaging from the culture can be what cause certain kinds of thoughts and things to drop in on us. Um, the kind of personality that we have can make certain thoughts drop in on us that, that we tend to notice more than other thoughts. Um, so there are people who are more like warriors. So then, you know, worry thoughts drop in. And while they may drop in on other people too, the worrying person is going to notice them more and pay more attention and give them more heed. Um, then we have people who are kind of more, despairing folks you know who who the kind of thoughts that drop in might be um more about like how things might go badly um and they're just kind of more drawn to those so that you might those might drop in and then there are people who are kind of more ruminators like looking backwards and regretting things that they've done um and those thoughts might have a particular allure but then there's the whole spiritual realm too And the kind of thoughts that drop in on us um, are often not from God. And when we conceptualize that there are all kinds of forces at work vying for our attention, then we can imagine that there there is the very distinct possibility that powers and principalities are at work and that thoughts are dropping in on, on us. And then because of all those other factors I just described, we're particularly attached to or drawn to or give more time and attention to certain ones. Um, and then we're swept away. So I would say that it's really complicated, the kind of thoughts that kind of drop in on us, that there there are the kind of the family, the personality, the cultural messaging and the spiritual realities, um, the forces of this world at work, that anyone and any combination of those things can really come to bear that, that make the certain, not only the certain kinds of thoughts drop in on us, but the ones that get our attention. And that's what really is most kind of mission critical, if you will, when you're looking at the whole world of what do we do with thoughts is to notice the kind of thoughts that get our, get our attention and carry us away or check us out or preoccupy us because that's where more of the difficulties with mental health will come in is when you're you are more stuck in your head thinking about anything um rather than being more present and in the moment and in your relationships or in your work or in whatever you're doing so that being kind of carried away in thought streams tends to mean people feel worse
1: mm. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's very complicated, but the way you explained it, I get it. That makes sense. It's almost like there could be external factors that um, affect our thoughts, but our internal who we are kind of controls how we react to those thoughts and what we do with those thoughts. Is that correct? Am I correct in understanding? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: It's highly personalized
0: Well, let's, let's back up for a little bit. Um, you know, so when you went to that, um, internship and you kind of made that shift, you know, like give us three or four examples of thoughts that you're like, Hey, this thought came into my head. I used to kind of run with it, but now through practice, how do I delineate? Is this a good thought? Is this helpful? Am I afraid? Am I happy? Like, walk us through some of those examples, just to help us see how this works.
2: Sure. Well, like I said, I kind of get pulled into sort of sad stories. That's that's kind of where I go, or what catches my attention more so than maybe um, more typical worry thoughts. But what that might look like is I might um, I might have an interaction with a friend and the interaction is over. And afterwards I might think, maybe that just wasn't intense enough or deep enough. Maybe that connection wasn't, wasn't the one I really wanted, you know, or I might think, Oh, I shouldn't have asked about this or that. I should have, um, I should have been more upbeat or you're too intense, Janice. You know, like, so things like this will come up now Certainly, thoughts like that can be instructive, right? They can help you when they're helpful. They can help you, help, you know, note it. Next time, maybe I'll ask another question about this or that. And I can, and it can be self corrective. But for me, what can happen is I can just pull into the sad and disappointing story where I had a perfectly lovely time hanging out with a friend. But in my kind of hours of spinning about it, it becomes sad and disappointing. So I, I have learned so much about this in the way I've noticed my evolution for what I'll call like Sunday night blues. You know, you end a weekend and you're going into Monday and I, starting about three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, I would just notice I would my mood would start to go down, down, down until I was in a veritable crisis by Sunday evenings. And when I started learning about this, Tendency and what to do with thoughts, um, I realized that what I was doing was, in the middle of the afternoon on Sunday afternoon, I would start kind of evaluating my weekend, and just these these evaluations would come up short. It, it the interactions I had with people were not meaningful enough. Um, my to do list did not get done enough. Um, uh, the kind of special time with my kids was kind of flat. And so I'm disappointed in that too. And so I would start evaluating that the weekend had not been what I, what I wanted or what I could have done or what I hoped. And I was disappointed in it. And I would just start going with this rolling, rolling, rolling until I was completely miserable by about 8.15 in the evening. Now, what what this work helped me do was to notice, to be aware that this is what was happening inside, that these thoughts were dropping in. I was taking them very seriously and just running with them. And instead of doing that, I you know was shifting to like, "Oh, there's the question, you know, what are you disappointed about, Janice?" And realizing like, that's not very helpful to me. I have learned from the past. And you know what? It's three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I have more time ahead of me of this weekend than I do most weekdays to enjoy myself. So shift your attention and just stay engaged with what you're doing instead of like going and taking a long sad walk about how sad this was <laughs> and, and thinking about that. So that you know, those are the ways I've noticed the shift in myself. Like it has been work, to learn to notice that and not to be pulled into it again when I know it's not like good, useful, productive processing when I do that. It's mood affecting rumination. And all that's happening is that my mood is being affected. It's not learning to do something new.
1: Yeah. I can say, I feel like I have done that before where I've just had a thought, and I've ruminated on it, and I've thought back on things I should have done, thought forward to things that I wish I could do. Yeah, that is so relatable. And I think I'm probably not the only one here right now, whether you're listening or watching, um, that can relate with something like that. So for someone who is listening to us right now and is thinking, wow, I can really relate with that. I do that too with my thoughts. What is the first step that you would give that person in Recognizing their thoughts, what's the first thing you do?
2: Well, I I tend to think most of us can probably relate to if they're kind of like me and 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 relate to what I was describing. You're kind of in this category I call being a despairer. You know, <laughs> like oh, it's so sad and disappointing. Um, others of us relate more to being kind of a classic warrior. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the other thing happens? And again, that can be really useful. It really can, if it leads you to solve a problem quickly or make a contingency plan. But as it spins and repeats and continues and continues, it can just increase rates of anxiety. Um, Just like being a despair can increase a sense of sadness and and being low in your mood and depression. Um, So there's the despair, the worrier, and then the ruminator. And that's the kind of person who who looks backward and kind of evaluates everything and regrets stuff and spins over like the conversation again and again. I should have said this and I wish I'd done that. And so again, that can be instructive. You can learn from it if you if you really process it and debrief it well. But when it becomes repetitive and spinning and, and on and on and on, it that's not helpful. And so I think the first step might be being able to identify yourself in one of those three categories, if you do one of those a lot, and then just become really aware of how much you're pulling into either a cycle of worrying or despairing or ruminating. Um, Make a note of it for a week or so, just at the end of every day, try to to write down, like, how much was I doing that? Um, How much time did I spend? What was my trigger? How did I get into it? what made it so alluring to me um and just evaluating yourself to increase your awareness that you do this so that you can catch yourself now in the future more and to be able to to notice oh i'm doing that again and again if you've decided like i did this is not helpful to me then to pull away from it and just put your attention back on whatever you're doing you know whether it's being with another person or doing the, the mundane task you're doing, even just being more attentive and focused on your work, um, on, on the cleaning, on the walk you're on and your surroundings. But again, being more attuned and present in your life tends to lead to better outcomes as far as mood than if you are up, caught up in those repetitive cyclical cycles Um, and checked out you know sort of semi-present but thinking about these things so that's that would be a start
0: so janice i I love when counselors talk about being aware um so Alyssa, in our last episode we brought up the enneagram so you know we're just going to drop it in here for our listeners so um and uh, we'll let don't has
2: anybody guessed my type yet. Well,
0: we're not supposed to guess yeah, your type, type, you know. People. You know, <laughs> we we try to follow the. So, so I definitely identify with more of the anxiety. I like I I'm a lot like you where I leave a conversation and I'm like, holy cow, was I was I empathetic enough? Did I listen enough? Was I too hard? You know, so where where I think I'm different than you though is that anxiety is like this person's going to hate me for the rest of their life or I'm going to get a text message like the hardest part about me being aware and the one of the reasons why I'm landing I love that we land on this question is it's actually a ton of work for me to know what am I actually feeling so like my wife can sit there and be like you sound angry and frustrated you sound anxious you said but the actual act of me like saying I'm hurt. Like, so I'm in this anxiety support group. It's called Capable Life and it's been super helpful, but like it's it's legitimately a lot of work for me to be like, I remember one moment I was with my wife. We can call it venting, ruminating, but like the moment I said I'm hurt, like I just wish it didn't take two hours to get there. Like, and so I I guess as I'm trying to kind of process that as someone that tends to, uh, you know, I can, I can sit next to Alyssa and I can say, you know, Alyssa looks very calm right now. You know, she may not like, or I I can kind of feel what other people are feeling, but to get to my own feelings, I don't even know what's out of control. What would you say to someone like myself?
2: (laughs) Oh, good question. I. Yes. Dear, dear type twos are always more aware of what everyone else is feeling or might be feeling, um, and, and delightfully outward focused in that way, but be, take heart, be encouraged because I, I, I think it takes practice. Emotions are experienced in the body and are, and are felt and with practice, we can dial into what is happening inside um, and locate, you know, within your body, like, where do you feel it? And, and to, to focus in and dial in to that feeling because your body is cueing you with what's going on and, and rehearsing and practicing that can really be helpful. I always I, I love emotions charts. Um, I use them in my office, my clients a lot, and I'm sure you you, you can get all kinds of emotion wheels and um, you know emojis and faces and cartoons and all, all the things that help you with this. Um, and finding one that you like can be a helpful start to give you you know a sort of an orientation to look and see what seems to reflect what I'm feeling. Sometimes people find those to be really overwhelming though, because there'll be so many choices. So sometimes I think just starting with sad, mad, glad. Okay, so if you just start with one of those three broad categories, start there. And, and, and for people who are really trying, you know, really having difficulty knowing that might be a good starting place. Cause then if you identify yourself, you know, one of those three spaces, then sitting with that, like, say you identify, okay, I'm more mad than I am sad or glad. So let's start with mad. Um, then you might be able to really dial into something more specific. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's like, you know, I feel, I feel like this grinding frustration that this happened, you know, so you might be able to get something more specific, maybe than just that broad category or even like glad, you know, to, to dial in. What is it you know, the subspecific emotion that I can identify that's coming up in this cloud. I think it's just, I'm feeling hopeful, right? So you might, from that space, be able to get more clear. But I think a lot of us can tend to overlook that the answer is there. And a lot of times our body is giving us a giant clue about it. And focusing in on the, the, physical sensation inside, you know, whether it's, like, oh, I feel like my chest is crushed, you know, and I, it, like there's a weight right here and, and then identifying that's sadness, you know, or I, I feel like this lightheadedness and um, dialing into that and noticing that's that my thoughts are racing. This is, this is anxiety you know, and being able to kind of let the body lead us to the space of more awareness. But it it takes practice. Like a lot of times with the couples I work with, I'll I'll give them like a an assignment to kind of try to check in with their emotional state. You know, when they sit down to hang out every day, you know what what is going on inside. Pull out that emotions chart or list to be able to help them.
1: Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. This is great practical advice. And I love practical advice because then I can go home and put it into practice. (laughs) Um, But my next question for you is, we've talked about a little bit about what we can do when we recognize that our thoughts and feelings are out of control. Um, But oftentimes, like we said, the source for maybe why our thoughts and feelings are out of control um, is above us, is outside of us. It's an external thing that's causing us to have these thoughts and feelings what do you think are the biggest reasons that, or maybe three of the biggest reasons that people feel like their thoughts and feelings are out of control?
2: The three biggest reasons. Yeah. Well, one thing is that, it, that whatever we resist persists. And so a lot of times people are experiencing certain thoughts or certain emotions are coming up and they don't approve of them or they don't think that God would approve of them. And so they're harshing themselves. They're berating themselves they're trying to get rid of the, the different thoughts and emotions. And so judging one's internal experiences is I think it exponentially increases our suffering. So being able to kind of allow that, okay, this is coming up for me. And it's kind of, you know, the thoughts and the emotions are kind of out of my control. So it's really just a matter of how much time and attention do I give them where emotions are concerned? It's a little bit different. Am I willing to experience this emotion? Because the the experience of an emotion does not take that much time nor does it take that much um, energy necessarily, not nearly as much as trying to tamp it down, tamp it down and make it go away. So a lot of times the, the judgment that we have about, about our thoughts and our inner experiences is causing us a lot more problems um, with our mental health or just like caring for ourselves. Um, okay, another thing that comes to mind that is a huge factor In all of our dealing with our inner experiences is just how much contact we have to, you know, the central nervous system of everyone else in the whole world through our phones. (laughs) So um, our phones are at once our greatest blessing, and they are really difficult for us because anytime we pick pick up our phone, we're going to see a headline. We're going to see a notification. We're going to see that our post wasn't liked very much, or we're going to see a a comment um, that is difficult for us to metabolize. that comes up on our feed. I mean, there's, there's something that is going to dump stress hormone into our body um, or give us a lift. I'm not going to negate that. Like we can get a little lift when we pick up our phone too, but there's, there's so much information that we're getting that. Triggers a stress response that then puts stress hormone into our bodies, and then it it feels really bad. So, in that sense, that you know the the judgment we have about our inner experiences, this constant influx we have of um, stress inducing information, is is really really difficult. Um, and then finally, I would think I think that just the misconception of how to take care of ourselves around our thoughts and emotions is is really um, it comes to play too. Because my my book, um, the subtitle is the title of it's Restore My Soul, but the subtitle is Reimagining Self Care for a Sustainable Life. And I I love reimagining self care with people because learning to care for our inner experiences moment to moment and hour to hour is really the best work of self-care. And I think that we've come to believe that there's sort of nothing we can do about how we feel in the moments and hours. And we just survive as best we can. And then we got to make a hard stop at some point and do some really expensive, extravagant self-care, which is like a spa day or a, a trip or, you know, going out on a boat and fishing for, you know, three days and not speaking to somebody like, so there, there are all these ideas we have about what self-care means that are kind of the, my life is untenable. And then I leave it and go do something about it. Instead of thinking, I know what to do in a moment and in an hour to make that moment or that hour feel better so that then a portion of my day feels better. And therefore my day feels better. And better days feel like better weeks. So that kind of dialing into like the the misconception about what to do with our thoughts and emotions, I think leads to greater problems with people trying to understand kind of wellness and self-care and even just understanding how God views our inner experiences and, and having some ability to look at ourselves with, without so much judgment and, and harshness that kind of adds to the problem.
0: You know, what you've been saying and even what you just said, um, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of surprised that a Christian can become a mental health therapist, learn more about mental health, and actually go deeper in their faith Um, I think there's a lot of people that think, you know, God, God doesn't want me to feel certain things or, you know, if I feel that, am I actually sinning? So I, I guess I'd be curious from you and you told me this, so I'm not typing you, you know, you're, I think one of the gifts of being a therapist that you told me that you were at Enneagram four, if I'm correct. So Uh, So, uh, you know, and Alyssa's an enneagram nine. So we we interview counselors to get free therapy. So it's just this works out. So (laughs) but um, I I guess where I kind of want to go with that is if if I really like simplified my question, it'd be like it seems like if you're really doing this Jesus thing right, you actually feel more and. When I say better, it doesn't mean that you don't feel the negative emotion, like you don't feel them, but you actually feel them in a better way. Is that your experience or even how has faith kind of caused you to go deeper into these feelings knowing that, you know, as an Enneagram 4 individualist, like your superpower is to feel. My favorite things, you got me all excited, (laughs) is the Enneagram 4 is the only number that can sit with someone that doesn't feel the need to fix them and like i just think that that's such a gift. so i anyways take all of that and uh run with it. Yeah.
2: Well, i don't know i don't know about a bow. But oh, people overlook the fact that we see all kinds of emotion all over the scriptures and the stories of Jesus. And I'm really grateful that we have experiences of seeing Jesus angry, seeing Jesus sad, um, because we have such a difficult time and accuse ourselves as, you know, for being a bad Christian if we experience these things. And nothing could be further from the truth. I feel like. And looking at Jesus um, in even just his experience around the death of Lazarus, that's the really famous, you know, sh- the shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus,
0: Jesus wept. wept.
2: Look, right. A-, right. A-, A plus right there. <laughs> I know. You got it. You got it. So everybody knows that, right? And everybody, you know, can can quote that. Yeah, Jesus got dead. He wept, you know, when L- Lazarus died. Um, but there's more to that story. That he he is very angry during that story, too, at, and and disappointed and disheartened at the response of the people. And that's all a part of that story as it is it you know kind of weaves through. And so I love looking at the complexity of Jesus going through this sadness and this anger, and then he's disheartened, and then he's still angry again later, just to see that. Jesus was experiencing emotions that we tend to think aren't allowed. And and if Jesus is our model, then we can see that not only do we get to this wonderful glimpse in the Gospels of knowing that he experienced these, these emotions, but seeing that he also experienced them and was true to behave in a way that was congruent with how he wanted to be in the world and who he was so he experienced these emotions without you know flying off the handles and like you know pushing people in the chest and saying where have you laid him he, did, he didn't respond to his anger in that way he stayed he stayed with it um, he he was angry but he stayed with the people and he interacted with them in a way that was congruent with how he how he we know him to be and how he wanted to be And so that's the challenge, is what do we do when we have big, overwhelming emotions? Are we living in a way that's congruent with how we want to be? But the experience of them is really not the problem as much as the way we respond to them or react sometimes. So that's where I I am just a huge fan of being able to notice, oh, this emotion is coming up inside and then to i just call it feel your feels to name the emotion allow that it's there you know invite jesus into that experience and then to experience the emotion you know research shows it it takes about 45 to 90 seconds to experience an emotion from beginning to end and so just the letting yourself experience it instead of fighting it so much gives us a much better chance of being able to then behave in a way that's congruent with how and who we want to be in the world, like Jesus calls for us.
1: Wow. I feel like you're talking right to me. Not to keep bringing up the Enneagram, but I am a nine. So negative emotions, I tend to suppress and tend to be like, oh, I don't want to be sad. Oh, I don't want to be anxious. Oh, I don't want to be angry. And just like ignoring or repressing that I feel like that sometimes. So that is great advice. Like I feel like you're talking right to me to me at this moment but I always remind myself that God created my emotions um, so he's not afraid of them and it's not a bad thing to feel what God has created me to feel Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, I just wanted to ask you so how do you help a client who comes into you um, and says my thoughts and feelings are out of control like what advice do you give?
2: Well there are a lot of different angles to take on that. Um, so I might try to, I mean, I might do any of the work that we've talked about here, but, you know, just, uh, you know, take our time and really look at how are the thoughts that are coming up, coming up? How are the emotions um, affecting you that are coming up and and trying to take a lot of the judgment out of them? Um so when they're saying they're out of control, I think probably I want to start with, what do you mean by them being out of control? Because sometimes the, the, the feeling that these things are out of control bears examination because really they're not out of control. But the person is either judging them to be dangerous you know, inside or is afraid of the experience of all these thoughts dropping in, or is afraid of the emotions that are coming up, and dispelling the fear can sometimes be really helpful towards you know being able to kind of relax a bit and to understand. Look, your your inner experiences and your inner world, um, you you can live in a different posture with these things that can make a, a really big difference in the way you feel. So, a first step might be kind of examining. Um, and I imagine this would be different client to client, but or I know it is different um, from client to client, but what do you mean by out of control? Because usually the things are not actually out of control. You know, if, if what they fear is they're going to go crazy and, or, you know, have a, a panic attack they'll never recover from, or become sad and never feel better ever again. Like there are things that, that when you really, dig into it, people can usually articulate that they name as what they're really afraid of that, you know, maybe hasn't actually happened. Um, And then unlocking that can be pretty freeing as a starting place.
0: I want to kind of, I love that question, Alyssa. I want to go big picture for a second. Um, This question is kind of birthed out of a culture that We don't know how to kind of respond with our thoughts and feelings when they, quote unquote, as you just said, get out of control. So, I guess from a counselor standpoint, um, you know, next week there's going to be a headline, you know, there's going to be a news story, people are going to have a reaction to it. And I kind of feel like the message of our world is um, if you think it and you feel it, just go do it and you know i i'll quote another counselor that's not as good as you dr phil you know he he asked that question how's that working for you and it's not and, and i i guess my question to you is as someone that's kind of watching all of these things unfold you know what would you say to the person that you know that headline comes up that post comes up and like very very practically like even to challenge them, how can you respond in a different way, not just to what you feel about that, but to people that you vehemently disagree with?
2: Oh, okay, I have have two things I'd like to say about that. Because I don't know who isn't experiencing that, that, that you're not hearing something about which you vehemently disagree that is raising really big emotions. Um, and so I think that we do well to be able to allow that those emotions are coming at the, the big ang- anger or the indignation or even the disgust, you know, is coming up inside to let yourself experience it um, without, you know, judging it or harshing yourself. Just let the, the emotion happen, because if you let yourself really experience the emotion, you're going to be much more equipped then to use you're rational and kind of wise, um, listening to the spirit self to decide what you might do about it. And then one of my favorite Enneagram teachers, Suzanne Stabil, she always asks, what's mine to do? We are getting way too many messages per day these days or having way, many more reactions to things than we can do something about. We have to, we've got to choose our battles. What is ours to do to really take a step forward around? So I, that's that's one thing I would say is really being able to experience emotions that come up, but then to really get to that place where you really can open in an open-hearted way, look inside and listen to God about what is mine to do. The second thing I'd like to say about this, and I feel like this just relates to to everybody's mental health in a world where the news is so jarring and alarming um, right now, we're being challenged by so many things at once, and that's to imagine your body as a vat of soup that you are cooking every day. So let me let me put that into context a little bit. Like I um, used to live with a bunch of friends, and my friend Char made tortilla soup one day and she misread the recipe. And instead of putting a teaspoon of cayenne pepper in the soup, she put a tablespoon in and, and we were all trying to eat it and just were like, uh, you know, after a while, like could not eat, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was way overspiced, right? Well, um, if you imagine that every day of your life, your body, is a, like a vat of soup that you were cooking every day and the ingredients you have at your disposal are stress hormone and happy hormone and this is kind of a generalization but basically those are the categories of ingredients you have and the the stress hormone is like the cayenne pepper right you want some you definitely want some because it gives it some kick and some lift but if you have too much the soup is really not palatable so Every day we're waking up and you've got your soup stock you're starting with and you're putting stress hormone into that soup. Every time you read a news headline, um, every time you know you see some of those social media things we were talking about earlier, um, when you have a negative interaction with someone, there are lots of things that put stress hormone in our soup. And the way we're so connected to... The things that you were saying, Peter, just about the, just the inundation of the messages that we're getting is we're getting, uh, we're getting too much stress hormone put into our soup by the way we're living kind of in relationship to that stuff. So the soup, you know, all this cayenne's going in. Now, one way, if we're thinking about that vat of hormone soup, that becomes really important is how are we putting kind of the happy hormone into that soup every day. So things there are all kinds of things that put happy hormone into our soup. You know, exercise, prayer, worship, connections with our loved ones, cuddling the cat, um, doing something kind for someone. All those things are, are things that put happy hormone into our soup. So when you're thinking about self-care, it's in the moments and the hours of our lives and in our day-to-day living. If you're thinking about, I am making a soup every day, and is there a balance of the stress hormone and the happy hormone in a given day? You can then have an impact by adding things that are like happy hormone into the soup. You know, when you put too much cayenne in a soup, experienced chefs will tell you, you don't necessarily have to throw out the soup. You can add brown sugar and it'll mellow out the the spice, or you can add, potatoes and it kind of soaks up the spice. So what are your brown sugar and potatoes that you can add to your day that will help a bit? So, you know, for me, do you remember the early days of COVID? um, Melissa, you're a mental health worker. So like, it was crazy to try to do um, sessions because basically every single person was talking about the same thing, which is not typical of of what it's like to be in the, in the field, but they're all talking about all the stress from COVID. And then they're not only talking about the same thing, but they're all talking about the thing, the things I'm stressed about too. And so suddenly like it, was, it was like, ah, I can let like the sessions up. And so, I, we, you know, I was in a group supervision with other therapists and we were saying, like, how do we, how do we, you know, do better to care for ourselves day to day with this? And so I realized like, I think I'm going to, um, I'm going to do like a stretch in between every session and a breath prayer, you know, to kind of stretch my body and do a breath prayer in between every session. And, and so I incorporated this in and I forgot sometimes, but in between most sessions. So like five or six times a day, I took this breath. I mean, I took, I did the breath prayer and I did stretched my body and it, that did not take me very long to do. You know, five minutes a day, one minute each time I did it, if that, but it made a big difference in how I felt at the end of a day of seeing clients as opposed to not doing it. You know, it was, it was like a potato, you know, a little potato, right? And so it's, it's finding those kinds of things that make any given day feel better because we were adding things into our lives that counteract all these incredible, um, just just incredible challenges in our world, and in the church, and our own responses to them. Mm.
0: Janice, this went way too fast. So I'm so glad that Janet uh, invited you. Um, you're open to coming back again, right? Oh, I
2: hope so. Oh, I hope so.
0: Yeah, you'll be back. Don't worry. So. The way we close every episode is we ask this question, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? And uh, so Alyssa and I will answer separately. And then um, just like my wife, we're gonna ask you to clean up any mess that probably <laughs> I'll, I'll leave, <laughs> but Alyssa and you can clean it up. So does that sound good? Sure. Okay, so you want me to go first or you wanna go first? You go first. Oh go man, ahead. here we go. Um. You know, as I've said in this episode and previous episodes, I, I've really been on a journey of, um, you know, trying to take thoughts and emotions, I, I want to use this old word, but like surrender them to Jesus. And like, I'll be honest, it's it's still foreign to me to say, I, I want you to befriend that or experience that emotion. Like, you know, 90 seconds doesn't seem like a lot um, until you're like 90 seconds angry but it's amazing when I do what happens. And, you know, I, I think I'll always kind of point people back to the Psalms where, you know, I'll, you know, I, I just tell people if God was so insecure, why would he have the Psalms in the Bible? You know, you have the writers of Psalms that are angry, they're upset, and they're sad. And, and I think what Jesus would say is, you know, our emotions have way more to do with our spirituality than we give them credit. And we are so action-oriented, you know, whether it's, you know, we feel angry, so we need to post, or we feel sad, so we need to send this text. And, you know, I, I think what I'm taking away from you, Janice, which, you know, your kind of your story and just the way that you practice is, is Jesus calls us to a different type of slowed down life. And, you know, Alyssa and I were doing an episode on anxiety with another author, and you know, He's talking about be anxious of nothing but pray. And we mention that verse a lot because it's not just stop doing something, but it's this idea of of God kind of redirecting us to process in a better way. So, you know, why are our thoughts and feelings out of control? I, I think Jesus is just inviting us to a better way. So, Alyssa, what do you got?
1: Wow, that was good. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. <laughs> yeah. But that really I do good. think that, yeah, yeah, it was. And I think that kind of what we had touched on earlier and what Peter was saying, I mean, we see evidence of Jesus having these strong emotions, not just like, oh, he was a little angry or oh, he was a little sad, but no, he, he wept, he flipped tables, he was angry, he was sad. And I think kind of echoing, I kind of already said this, but God gave us those emotions and God wants us to have those emotions. And it's not a bad thing for us to be experiencing a quote unquote negative Um, emotion because we often in society label different emotions as negative or positive Um, but they can all be used for positive things even if in the moment they may not feel so good to have Um, I think it's all about like um, Janice like you were saying capturing our emotions identifying them and then seeing how we can then use those for good and to glorify God and to still follow Jesus while experiencing those emotions and I think that's a thing that people may not realize you can be angry and follow what Jesus exactly the way that he would want you to go. You know, you can be sad and do God's will. You can be frustrated, whatever it is. Um, It doesn't have to be juxtaposed or in tension with each other. I think negative emotions and God kind of go hand in hand in a weird way. Um, So yeah, I think Jesus would just remind us that he was us. He was a human and he had, or he is, <laughs> he is a human and he has emotions and that's okay because we are human and we are made in God's image and we can have emotions too.
0: Mm. Janice, here you go. Wrap mm-hmm. it up in another bow, another <laughs> present
2: for us. Your <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, The Psalms and all the places in scripture that say do not be afraid are the evidence, I believe, that any emotion is allowed. So even just all the do not be afraid passages are there, I think, because it is so common in our humanity to experience fear that God addresses it so much, and then it it draws us into relationship with God about that emotion. The texts almost always pull in that direction, and then in the Psalms, all the um, various um, the songs of the Psalms of Lament, the Psalms where you know people are really upset and angry about enemies um, and just feeling so indignant about the way life is going and what is happening, all of that is allowed. And I think the message for us is that the best place to deal with strong emotions is in relationship with God. And so trying to keep those things out or to tamp them down and make sure they're just not there in order to then be able to pray is absolutely antithetical to what I believe the messaging is meant um, for us to understand that that the best place to bring those things is into our, our own relationship with God to process deeply. Why is this coming up? And what should I do with it? What's mine to do about it? And then what is just for me to process in in relationship with God? So that that is how I, if there's one message that comes out of this, I hope it's that there is no better place than your own relationship with God to deal with all of your inner experiences.
0: Janice, what's, what's the best way people can get a hold of you online?
2: Well, um, I have got a website at I also have a great resource. It's called Hormone Soup Resource. And that's at HormoneSoupResource.com. So if you just want to push that in, I've got 50 ideas for you um, that take one to five minutes to practice that are examples of brown sugar and potatoes <laughs> that you can add to your hormone soup um, that hopefully will inspire you that you'll be able to start practicing today to help the feeling in your body as you address kind of the hormone soup challenge. And I, I, really hope that you'll pre-order my book. My book is not coming out until November, but it's available, um, for pre-order now and, um, will be obviously on sale after November. So, um, I'm talking about a lot of these ideas in that book and just trying to expand on them, and there's a lot more information there. So that's restored My Soul, Reimagining Self-Care for Sustainable Life.
0: Oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> we, we can't wait either. So um, uh, we have a transcript, which is part of our email. So make sure you tr- check our transcript. You can actually get that website right there. The best way to get a hold of us is to go to whygodwhypodcast.com, click the subscribe button, and you'll get an email from us. Janice uh this is such a joy um I'm gonna have to thank Janet Blathy for inviting or uh, introducing us we're so glad to have you here
2: thanks Janet
0: <laughs> there you go well we hope you all have a wonderful day today thank you so much